Welcome back, everyone, to another thrilling episode of the Manufacturing Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Mayer, and today we are in for a treat. We're gearing up to go on an exciting journey into the heart of digital innovation, and our guide, none other than a tech-savvy digital trailblazer and CEO of Gen Alpha Technologies, Chris Harrington. Chris is not just a CEO. She's an alchemist of the aftermarket, transforming the way OEMs conduct business and service their equipment and parts online. At Gen Alpha, she spearheads the creation of futuristic solutions like Equip 360, a digital knight in shining armor, armoring technicians and buyers with much needed information in today's fast-paced digital world. She's the architect of a seamless e-commerce experience, creating digital part manuals, simplifying warranty issues, configuring custom part packages, and even arming businesses with actionable analytics. Each feature is carefully designed like a cog in a perfectly tuned machine, enabling a smoother, more efficient, and more profitable business model. But the real beauty of her work, it's all in the results. Reduce transaction costs, increase customer face time, skyrocketing retention rates, near zero order errors, and yes, you heard it right, even improved average order values. Chris's impact is tangible, proven, and powerfully transformative. From the home offices to international assignments in Canada, Brazil, and Peru, Chris has been a globe-trotting digital maven. Her philosophy, a good tool isn't just a product, it's a step forward for the business, a sentiment echoed by her clients like Peter Vance from Bros Manufacturing. So fasten your seatbelts and power up your processors because we're about to dive headfirst into the digital ocean of manufacturing with our very own tech titan, the vanguard of value, the incomparable Chris Harrington. Hi, Chris. Welcome to the Manufacturing Podcast. How are you doing today? Oh, Jim. Wow. Uh, yeah, uh, you certainly have me blushing. I'm wonderful. Thank you for that uh, very kind introduction. I think I might have to go on to LinkedIn and change it to alchemist. Of that. I mean, come on, that's so good. Go for really, it. Go you. for it. Uh, <laughs> as my, my guest last week, somebody you know well and somebody who actually connected us, uh, John Buglino, uh, he wants to download uh, and and isolate that intro and make it his ringtone on his phone. So hopefully John's had an opportunity to do that already. Um, oh, love but, John. Yeah, that's great. Uh, and I'm very fortunate that he, he made the introduction because uh, we're really in for a treat today. I'm really excited about this conversation. Learn more about you, your journey, Gen Alpha, uh, the digital space in the manufacturing world, and and what your experience has been. Yeah, thank you. I'm so delighted to be here and to talk with you. I think your podcast that you've started here is going to bring a lot of value to people. Uh, you know, sharing stories about culture, especially manufacturing culture, I think is just such a cool concept. And I, I'm confident people are going to get a lot out of all of your discussions, but I'm so happy to be here with you today. Oh, awesome. Yeah, now, now that now it's my turn to blush. Thank you very much. Chris. <laughs> um, so Chris, I, I gave a little quick overview of Gen Alpha, but, but really give us more of the nuts and bolts uh, behind what Gen Alpha is, 
what you all do and how many employees you have. Sure. So we are a technology company uh, serving original equipment manufacturers who sell equipment that needs to be serviced over its lifetime. Um, we have, you know, expanded our presence in the digital space. Uh, we started as an e-commerce and interactive parts manual organization, really transforming the experience that uh, dealers and customers have with manufacturing organizations. And uh, since our inception, we've expanded into warranty and RMA and product configuration, and of course, have a very robust analytics engine. So our goal is to be 360 degree support uh, for that, you know, offering very good customer experience and support over the life of equipment. Um, and we're very nichely focused and, and that's that's the, the market that we serve. Uh, we do have 16 full-time Gen Alpha employees, but we contract with an organization that has uh, been with us since the very beginning. Uh, where we, you know, we range anywhere from 30 to 40 employees, given the size of our work that are specific, uh, specifically dedicated to Gen Alpha. So typically, wow. we're right around 50 employees when we consider our contract workers and our full time Gen Alpha team. Wow, that's really neat. Um, so that that's that's quite a staff, and it, there there's got to be some challenges. Um, you know, not only managing the direct workforce, but the contract workforce as well. So maybe we'll dive into that in a little bit. Um, as you know, because I know you listened to the John episode. Um, yeah. What our, our first question is always, what has been your journey with it, your, your organization? But with your history in the industry, Chris, I'm wondering if you could start uh, your cultural journey at when you joined the industry, not just when you started uh, Gen Alpha. Can, can you lead us through that journey? Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, it's interesting. I, I always like to say that manufacturing uh, really selected me. Uh, I've told the story other times, so I'll keep it really brief. But when I was in high school, I was selected as um, – the student athlete of the year. And it was a recognition done by a local manufacturing company. And they brought the the female and the male student athlete of the year from all the local area high school, uh, high schools into a dinner event and speaking event hosted by the manufacturing company. And coach K was the speaker of that event. <laughs> and um, it was really, really meaningful to me at the time, especially since I played basketball, I was a huge fan of Duke and yeah. getting that reward and, and having my parents be there uh, was something really special. And it pulled me into manufacturing and got me very curious because before I left for the U.S. Navy, I, I went into to this manufacturing organization and asked if there was a job for the summer before I left. So I really started in the warehouse. Um, you know, so if I go from, uh, you know, the culture, cultural experience from way back as a, you know, an 18 year old kid who, uh, you know, started in a manufacturing warehouse, really uh, driving the fork truck, putting putting packages away and, you know, taking things off the shelf and packaging things and getting them on the truck 
to today being a CEO of a technology company that serves uh, manufacturers, I certainly have a lot of experience in between. Um, <laughs> well, let's hear it. I'm excited. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, that yeah. you you said that you've shared that before. You haven't shared it with me. So that's a really yeah. neat story. I loved hearing that. That was neat. Coach K, yeah. what an icon. Well, uh, thank you for that. And, uh, you know, really what I, I think what's really interesting is, um, you know, if I go back in time, even when I graduated from university and I started in a manufacturing environment in more of a professional career, um, there were limited number of women in leadership roles uh, in, in the very beginning. So, so the diversity of women being present, especially as leaders, was something that, uh, you know, I think is a cultural shift in the industry. So I can talk about, you know, where I think that has gone today. Um, certainly, we're still trying to advance that. But I, I do believe that it has advanced and it's growing. And there are lots of great organizations like Women in Manufacturing that are are assisting in giving space for women to have uh, other women leaders to talk to and speak to. So mm -hmm. I will also say that uh, when I started in the industry, it was a place where if you had a question, I mean, I had these amazing allies inside uh, the manufacturing organization where if I had a question, I could go to the head of engineering, Dave Lang, and sit down and talk to him and ask him my questions. And he would explain to me how a machine worked or how things operated or what they had to think about when they selected a part and, engine and engineered it into an assembly and how that was going to make something work. Um, in today's day and age, right, we are, not, we are more remote than ever. Mm -hmm. So the ability to just sit down and have that type of experience in training is very different today. And, and we have to try to make space for that. Um, you know, I would also say that the 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 selling. Right. So when we sold, it was a very in person when you were negotiating yeah. or when you were uncovering um, the requirements for whether it was a, a company who was buying a piece of machinery from you, um, you know, and you were trying to understand what were their challenges and obstacles and how your, what, what was the best machine that would fit those needs. That was a very in-person uh, type of conversation. When you negotiated, it was in-person. So you looked the other person in the eye and when you were fighting for something, it was a real conversation uh, that you were doing in front of the person. So I think, you know, your level of training and experience with that uh, is slightly different today in, again, a more digital or remote world. I think yeah. about trade shows, right? If we think about the culture of manufacturing and the presence of trade shows, huh. or even um, getting information from conferences, you would go and attend a conference, you would be present at a trade show, uh, you would read a physical book to get more knowledge. Uh, some of the cultural changes are that this is a digital world. People are going to digital to find information. We look for, uh, we we participate with others by listening to a podcast or we join a webinar, right? right. Uh, we download audiobooks to get information and learn today. So I think these are, you know, some of the really broad things that I can I can say have been a real significant 
shift as I look at the industry and how manufacturing manufacturing in general is adapting to this change. Now, um, you know, many people will say they that they still love that real in-person touch uh, and and feeling of trying something or meeting with somebody or shaking their hand. Uh, but I will also say there's a growing population of people who say that's nice under a certain circumstance, but I want all the information I can remotely first, and then we'll see if we need to take it to that next level uh, di discussion. So again, um, those are some of the broader things, Jim, that I would think that I think are important to just talk about um, in my own experience over time. Yeah, uh, that's amazing. Um, let's back up even to pre-university. Uh, you went into the Navy, it sounds like. Mm -hmm. How did that experience, because then, uh, just like manufacturing, uh, I can't imagine there were a whole lot of women, young women in the Navy at the time. So how did that uh, experience kind of form uh, how you approached that next step coming into manufacturing and, and how did your experience in the Navy uh, form your uh, leadership style or, or did it help form your, your style of leadership? Yeah, well, I would definitely say that anytime you do any uh, level of military service, you're certainly going to learn things. You're going to learn things about yourself. Um, you're going to learn uh, you know, in the military, everything is desi designed to be sure that you can follow an order when an order is urgent, right? Sure. Um, and uh, so I, I think that that uh, the ability to obey uh, and follow orders uh, was something that became exceptionally clear to me when I was in the service and maybe not so much otherwise, even though I always think I've uh, just tried to do right in the world, you know, even as a young person, sure. uh, but I, I participated in a lot of sports. So I think, you know, uh, a lot of my leadership skills and things started by having great coaches and great mentors uh, there. And then that expanded when I, when I moved into the Navy and uh, just observed how leaders, uh, you know, led people and mm -hmm. got them to follow them. And, and I observed the differences in the different leadership styles. And I think I've always been told to, you know, take the best and leave the rest. <laughs> and that's been something that I've been doing all throughout my careers as I've had a leader or mentor or coach in any uh, of my endeavors in life, I've always tried to take the best of them and just leave the rest. So, you know, sometimes there is typically always something great you can find about the leader that you're working with. If you can take a lesson from that, and then, you know, if they do some things that you don't like, probably it's not something you should bring into your own leadership style. So just <laughs> leave that alone. Right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I love that. Um, and so because of your your experience with coaches and and then the military and and then coming into this industry you talked earlier about mentorship and and organizations like wim um wim wasn't around when you joined the industry but how important are mentorship programs for young women looking to get into 
this industry or STEM fields in general? Uh, and and what can organizations like WIM do to to foster that connection, that mentorship? Yeah, well, I would say that any mentor is important, right? And uh, I will say it, whether it's male or female, it's important. It's mm -hmm. important for women to have allies who support them and raise them up and coach them um, just like uh, their male counterparts may be getting. So um, incredibly important. I think what organizations like WIM do is they give space and freedom to talk about things that in may not be freely talked about in all organizations. True. And, you know, when you're a, a younger person coming into an industry, if you really love your role and you really love your job, you, you, and you want to make a career out of something. And certainly those of us uh, in the manufacturing industry, we want women to enter. There are gaps and roles to fill. And there is a place certainly for, um, not just women, but all uh, diverse levels, uh, you, you know, um, but we'll take anybody, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> anybody that, uh, you know, has the skills and the desire, uh, Absolutely. you know, should be entering. So I, I think these organizations are great because when you see it, you can be it and you need to hear from women leaders. I would have loved to have women leaders, uh, and been participating myself in WIM when I was younger, uh, just to see what's possible. I don't think necessarily that I was prevented from, uh, you know, accelerating in my career because I had great people surrounding me, but the opportunity to, to see other women uh, is just awesome. You know, and again, I, I take sports as an example. Um, I'm a huge fan. A fan of the U.S. women's national team, you know, the soccer team, they're actually entering into the World Cup uh, in, in a few days. It's a very exciting time. But the visibility for women in sports has been incredible for just uh, women athletes in general and that, that belief that when we see it, we can also be it. And I just love that concept. Absolutely. I, I love it. Uh, Chris, I'm going to kind of put you on the spot. Uh, I, I am the community engagement director for the WIM Arizona chapter, um, <laughs> and I am building out a mentorship program for uh, young women and it, yes. in, that uh, are high school or uh, community college apprenticeship level um, or even new into the industry. Would love if you would be one of my mente mentors uh, that I can connect you with uh, a mentee. Uh, we haven't fully uh, defined or launched the program, but that's my my next task. So uh, I'd love to have you as in my pocket there as, as a huge resource for, for people moving forward. Yes, it would be an honor. Thank you for, for putting me on the spot. And absolutely, <laughs> you can count on me. It's recorded. It's happening. Fantastic. <laughs> um, so you, you also talked a little bit uh, in, in, you know, kind of the the themes of of your your time in the industry about trade shows and and the, how we've moved into this digital world. Do you think that's a generational shift, uh, or is that part of just the evolution of the industry and the world in general? You know, I think it's it's the evolution of innovation and the possibility of what digital brings, right? So yeah. um, 
you know, I went to Con Expo this year and it was the most well attended Con Expo in history. So <laughs> it, it doesn't mean trade shows are going away, right? It, right? And it certainly wasn't just the older generation that was there. All generations were present. Yeah. So um, it's not to say that these things aren't still important. I think they do. They have a place. Mm -hmm. But there are also these other things that are important, too, if you're going to meet all customers where they are. So I really think it's the innovation of what's possible that has uh, created these other opportunities. I love it. I love that. Um, so let's get back to culture and and let's talk now about Gen Alpha. Um, what wait, You have 16 direct employees and 30 to 40 contract uh, employees. What's the culture like at Gen Alpha? If you had to describe it, how, how would you describe the culture there? Yeah, I would say that our culture is a culture of putting the customer first. Um, I think that's really represented in the people that uh, are on our team and the way in which we do business with our customers, you know, it's not natural for everyone to deliver exceptional service. Yeah, I, I definitely believe that. Not all people are set up to, to do that. You know, it requires empathy. It requires good listening skills. It requires that, you know, sometimes you have to learn something new or do research on something you didn't, you didn't know about. Um, sometimes it requires starting early or staying late, right? Mm -hmm. So if, if you have a culture of people who have a willingness to do that when the time requires it, um, it requires good communication and also being a great teammate. Uh, you know, it sometimes it requires you to be a teacher where you're you're coaching your customers or a teammate on something new. Uh, it also, you know, requires people to accept accountability for their actions. So, um, you know, as I think about all of those different things, I think that is what's uh, the culture of Gen Alpha is, you know, we always believe that our employees are our greatest asset, but the reason they are so great is because they put the customer first and we're ultimately we're all there to create something for the customer. Um, and we will only be successful if we do that well. Sure. So, so um, how do, how do you uh, hire for that culture fit, right? How, how do you go through that process of finding the right person to come work with Gen Alpha? Well, I think it uh, is often a referral. Uh, you know, so many of the people who have come into Gen Alpha have come because we've worked with them in the past. And we know that they have that makeup and uh, they, they really meet that style and are going to fit well into the culture. So I would definitely say a significant portion of our employees came through uh, relationships that either an employee had or, or many of us as employees have had. Yeah. Uh, if not through that, then we have to ask the right questions in the interview process. You know, we have to talk to the references um, you know, I, I'm not gonna say that every interview is a perfect, 
opportunity to identify the right next great employee. Uh, you have to work hard with it, but you have to go with your instincts. And sometimes uh, the people that you hire are not going to have all of the experience that you may want, uh, meaning they may have not done this specific role before, but if they are trainable and they have all of those other skills, then they are going to be the right fit eventually. And they're worth a little bit of the effort to train them on something new. And we've been a big believer of that for a long time. I mean, when you're in, in, in an innovative space where things are new to the industry, you know, we, we bring in a lot of people who have business experience but they don't have the digital experience and that's okay. We can train for that. Um, So, you know, I think you do have to think about the, the skills of an individual and the character of individual and the value. Uh, I think value alignment within an organization is so very important. I had the opportunity to be mentored and trained in my uh, career, and I've had to go through value exercises where I've had identified my values. And I will say, when I have worked in organizations or I've worked with leaders where their values are incongruent with my values, very quickly, it's a challenge. So if you can uncover some of those things and, and, and hire people who are self-aware, uh, you, you're even that much more uh, better off. Yeah, I, I love it. I and uh I just was smiling and nodding the the whole time you were you were saying that. Uh because that's really all culture is, right? Is is that alignment of values uh, between the organization and, and the employees. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so how do you think the this positive uh culture uh, at Gen Alpha has influenced the performance of the organization has it made the the organization better financially uh, in the community, etc. Certainly, um, I would definitely say that the difference, so the differentiator for us as a team, uh, comes down to our people. And um, I'm saying that to you now, very proud, but uh, <laughs> it's something that I hear from our customers directly. And that's not uh, saying that Chris Harrington is uh, great to work with. They're talking about the employees of Gen Alpha. Yeah. Our employees are excellent to work with. We become part of the manufacturing organization's team. And when you, I, I believe when you do the right thing, um, over and over, and you have employees who believe in doing the right thing, uh, er- everything ends up working out and the results uh, will speak for themselves. So mm-hmm. certainly uh, it's it's contributed to the results of the organization, differentiated us as a company. Uh, and it will often, I mean, we, we go up against some very large uh, companies when we're competing uh, for a digital commerce solution. Usually it's the incumbent ERP provider, and those are very big names, SAP, J.D. Edwards, Oracle, Infor, uh, Epicor, you know, these big companies. We compete against the CRM systems that are there like Salesforce, Um, you know, and and when you you win the business, and it is because uh, not only do you have an exceptional product, but it's because uh, you're serviced by an exceptional team. Um, it says a lot for the organization, and and that's really where the results come in. 
Yeah, absolutely. I can only imagine. Those are some huge names that you go up against. Yes. Um, as a, a digital organization um, that strives to have this customer first culture, uh, you've got to hire people and, and instill in them uh, some sort of a technical curiosity and, and the idea of innovation and, and for lack of a better term, constant innovation, I would imagine. So mm-hmm. how do you instill that in, in your team members? How do you build that as part of your culture? Yeah, you know, it's so interesting because I think because we're customer first, most of our innovation and ideas come from our customers, right? So they ask an interesting question and then we ask back, back, you know, what is the real problem we're trying to solve? And we get very clear about that. And when we truly understand the problem that we're trying to solve, usually there is an innovative way to to respond and that becomes a part of the solution. So it it's again in taking that those listening skills and the curiosity and paying attention to what uh, customers are asking that so when you take good care of the customer your backlog fills with customer ideas and manufacturers in general are very innovative themselves right so they they build the products that build the world and move yeah. the world and shape the world. Right? Yeah, so, absolutely. you know, we can do a lot uh, by just listening to our customers. They have great ideas. And then, you know, something I'll say and be very transparent about is that retail uh, has been ahead of manufacturing f- for a while now, of course, on the digital side when it comes to digital commerce type products and that customer experience. And so since we, as employees of Gen Alpha, are all experiencing digital solutions in our own personal lives, when we see something that we really like, we share it with each other. Uh-huh. And we say, is that, a, is that something we could bring into our uh, product, but maybe this way, because it would be- be- meet the needs of our customer's customer. Um, yeah. So that curiosity and just basically using technology in our own life and then bringing back the things that we've used and liked uh, back in, that's how we do it. And we just ask questions, you know, when we have a release, so we do a product release once a month. So we're doing 12 product releases a year. We're an agile development company. Um, We, and we meet together as a team to go over the release notes and we review those all together. And oftentimes in the release process. Those of us who are seeing the release for the first time will ask questions or will say, hey, wouldn't that be great if we did this along with that? I mean, the openness to be able to communicate uh, and the transparency and just relaying your ideas and feeling comfortable that you can do that in that space gives us even additional uh, ideas in our backlog to bring into the solution later. So it really is all of that, I think that's contributing to that. And, and that's how we build that culture. Um, wow. I can't really say there's one specific thing we do. You kind of have to be doing multiple things and sure. then have people feel it and experience it and then want to contribute. Sure. I, that makes total sense. Um, 
I mean, I, for one, and I'm sure a lot of the listeners, you know, we get our idea of what the tech industry uh, is from movies and TV shows, right? I've never worked in the tech industry, but it always seems so fast paced. It always seems uh, to be very intense. How do you balance your employee well-being uh, or the well-being of your employees, I guess, would be a better way to put that, um, while still promoting that customer-first culture? Yeah, it's such a great question. You know, so since COVID, we've moved to a remote environment, and we have a lot of uh, tools that keep us connected uh, to ensure that we have great communication both internally and good communication with our customers. So we have a lot of uh, technology tools that help us, right? Uh, That give us visibility to our goals and reaching milestones and having the ability to communicate. If we look at like uh, Team Gantt for Gantt charts with our customers, we use Confluence and Slack internally on our uh, ticketing side and then also for moving um, the backlog through and good story writing and, and everything else. Um, all of those tools and being in a remote uh, situation, I think remote just creates an opportunity for a different kind of balance that physically having to go to an office and be in an office for a certain number of hours um, it didn't create that opportunity for some flexibility. So sure. what we what we have is flexibility and trust that our team will achieve the goals that we have set forth in the timeline that we have. And they can manage, you know, if they have a dentist appointment or they have to take the kids to daycare or, you know, whatever it might be. There's a a flexibility and trust. They know what the goals are. They know when we have to achieve them. We know if we're not achieving them, that's where we would say, hey, there's something that we need to to look at here. But we are not a micromanagement type of organization. We give our employees a lot of autonomy. And I think that autonomy and that trust is what creates the balance. So the reason I introduced the tools was just to say that all these tools help us to stay connected and to communicate, but the balance is in the trust and the flexibility. And when you're operating in a remote way, um, you just have greater time, I think, to introduce things that maybe you couldn't do before in the past when you had to be at a physical location every day. Oh, absolutely. And, and trust, I mean, if, if that has built anything, um, COVID by that, I mean, um, has, has built anything. It's, it's either an immense sense of trust between organizations and their employees or, uh, a a mistrust, right? Because there are so many organizations that went remote and they've got tracking softwares. They are monitoring cameras to make sure people aren't, you know, uh, you know, just have some clicker moving their mouse the entire day or or things of that nature. So there's, I, I do think that COVID brought a whole lot of trust to that conversation of, around work from home remote yes um you know and and some organizations went uh even further than just work from home it was remote work it was work from anywhere my brother works for an organization that 
he and his family have the ability to literally travel anywhere that they want and he can log in and do the work that he needs to do and then log out and he can be on a beach or at the base of a castle or, or the Alps or whatever the case may be, he can do it from anywhere. So it's really wild how that evolved uh, with the kind of gigantic nudge that COVID provided us. Right. Yeah. And you wouldn't be able to do that if you didn't ultimately trust your employees Absolutely. To do the things that need to be done and have a mechanism to measure that they are being done. Right. Yeah. You know, and I, I think that is important, uh, you know, for anybody that's considered a more hybrid type working environment. I, I do think you have to make sure that you have enough communication mm-hmm. uh, to facilitate good um, information around what the expectations are. There has to be visibility to the progress that you're making. And then, you know, regularly the goals have to be achieved and milestones have to be achieved according to those expectation timeframes. That will ensure everybody, you know, knows everybody's pulling their weight. We're all doing doing the right things and uh, we're achieving these things so we can continue to trust each other that we're going to do uh, and get the work done uh, timely and according to what uh, is expected. Absolutely. You, you, that, that measurement of employees is, is paramount. I mean, it, it's paramount for any organization, work remote or work in person, but it, it's to me, and, and maybe it's just the experiences that I've had. Um, it's so vital to the success of being at home. If those, if there's any ambiguity around what your targets are or what you're shooting mm-hmm. to achieve, then the prioritization of tasks kind of get skewed. Yeah. Agree. Um, agree. So the second generalization I have about tech and, and so forgive me again, (laughs) um, is that there's that fail fast, you know, move fast and break things type Mm -hmm. mentality in, in the tech industry. So how does that vibe with the the culture first or, or customer first? Um, and, and what kind of setbacks and failures have you experienced? And how do you foster part of that customer first, that empowerment to fail and not feel terrified with your employees? Yeah, well, I, I think it <laughs> um, the the first step is really just communicating that you trust your people to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And if they make a decision and it ends up being the wrong decision, but they can communicate to you why they felt it was the right decision in the first place, we're going to always support that. Right. So yeah. uh, it, it's really that culture of doing what's right first. Got it. Um, but I think, you know, <laughs> this is technology. In technology, things go wrong. You know, things just do go wrong, right? You were connecting earlier today and (laughs) your computer shut down and then you were trying to connect the different devices, right? We've all experienced where technology can have a hiccup. So when you're a a company providing a technology solution, things are going to go wrong. It's how you respond to those things that is really critical. Um, And I, I think that's where, again, having good communication, having well, good monitoring systems to understand when something is going wrong. Uh, it's truly 
um, doing a root cause analysis if something truly broke, you know, going in and asking the five whys. I mean, we have, we have uh, forms that are filled out and we fully understand why something happened. And then we have a solution or fix that goes into place and is validated typically through testing later to make sure that that uh, fix is, uh, of course, in place. So, you know, you have to have processes that allow you to fail, identify that the fail occurred and, and get to the root cause, solve it, and then put that solution in place for the future. Um, with technology, I think that's critical. And again, I mentioned that we're an agile development company for people that might not know what that means. It, it means that you're not maybe doing a large overhaul to your solution all at one time, because that requires major testing. When you're bringing a lot of different new enhancements and new features and new things into your product, the, it can be very costly and it, it, you carry more risk. When it's agile and you do things iteratively over time, it creates a feedback mechanism for everybody to have a chance to look at it, to test it, to share their ideas about it. And then the next iteration, you do something that enhances it even more. So I think through even our release process in our agile development uh, way in which we work, when, when you work like that as a company, it's almost like your culture is agile as well. Yeah. You're okay that the first thing that you see isn't exactly where you want it to be, but you see that we took a step and now we're on a journey to keep enhancing what's now been delivered. And I love that about us because sometimes you can take a first step and where you envision your product going in the end, you, just, you certainly make changes along the way. And those changes are often better than your original vision. Uh, and then you you iteratively move, move through that to get there. And uh, of course, with technology, you never stop innovating. So you're continually enhancing, you're continually learning. So it is kind of a, uh, you know, that fail early, fail fast, fail forward. I, I yeah love applying that to life, but it's certainly something in technology. If you're truly failing though, you have to understand the why and you have to put in a fix so it doesn't happen again. And, and that's something we take very seriously. I love that. That's absolutely fascinating. <clears throat> so you talk about feedback as part of the agile world, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Or agile development. Um, and, and you talked a lot about communication. How, how have you created this environment that encouraged feedback, not just um, from executives or not just as part of the agile development, but that ensures that every single voice at Gen Alpha, whether it's an intern to you as CEO is, is heard and valued. Yeah. Well, I think that, that is a responsibility of leadership, right? You have to, you have to demonstrate it at the top. Mm -hmm. um, you, you have to be vulnerable as a leader so that other people have see the safety in the space to be to ask their questions, even though they might be a little scared or to voice their opinion. Mm -hmm. uh, you sometimes have to ask people for it. Um, and sometimes you do that in a more one-on-one -on -one environment because you're, you're getting people to feel comfortable 
that they ask the right questions or they have the right ideas. So it really comes down to multiple forms of meetings and communications, whether that be the group uh, as as an entire company meeting where uh, they're observing how everybody interacts with uh, each other. And I'm referring to new people coming into the culture because they're really the ones that have to feel safe and feel comfortable that they can uh, be open and honest and share. Um, They have to see it done with others. And then it goes into our smaller meetings that they see it repeated there. And then on -on one-on-ones, you know, where you as a leader ask for feedback from them, you know, ask, how can I help you? Is there anything you have a question about? Do you have an idea that you want to share with us that you just haven't felt like you you weren't sure that this is the that was the right space. Uh, this would be a time to share that, you know. And it, it's repetitive and multiple, I guess, formats to allow for that. I love it, um, Chris. You, you just talked about the role of a leader, um, and what what do you think is the most lacking skill? in leaders today uh in our industry or out outside of our industry and, and conversely what do you think is the the most vital skill uh so what what are we missing most of in the industry and on the other side of that question uh what do you think is most important or is it the same thing hmm. yeah it's a really good question i'm just going to go with what my gut is thinking perfect um you know, I think in manufacturing in general, mm-hmm. and as we look out at all kinds of questions and situations you can get in and discussions, there is typically there is an older generation that is leading businesses or who have, uh, you know, have the more executive roles. So, you know, owners of companies, presidents and CEOs, and then the executive team are typically an older generation. They're more experienced. They've they've been there before. And sometimes the attitude is we've tried it and it didn't work. Mm-hmm. And I think that's sometimes a mistake. Um, and, and it can be a, a really big mistake or that's not the way our business has been done Mm -hmm. Um, because it doesn't leave room for change. And uh, in, as we all know, when we come into, and and these leaders are no different when they came into the organization, they would look up at their uh, leaders and say, man, they never want to hear the ideas or they don't want to change. They don't want to, you know, so, but as you become the leader, you sometimes forget because, uh, you're managing a level of business. It's harder to sometimes take risk when you're at that top. Sometimes you're spending your own money or you're, you know, you're retiring soon. So you don't want to tackle a significant change. So I think the inability to change or that inflexible thought um, that can cause organizations and teams to fall behind. Um, and that's not just something today, that's something I've experienced over time. So it's not to just 
pick on this particular generation, <laughs> right? Right. It, it is when you you move up in an organization, um, you have to have a willingness to listen and learn and uh, be open to allow those newer employees with new ideas or those new they might not even be new employees, but you've uh, put them into roles. Uh, give them the autonomy to try the things that maybe you have tried and you failed, but it's a new generation with new tools and new ways and uh, maybe a new uh, personality who's trying it. Um, mm -hmm. And Give them an opportunity to either pass or fail with that item. So the I would say that that's just something over time I've seen in many organizations I've worked with is just that, oh, we've done that before. It didn't work. Or uh, just the inflexibility to try something new. Yeah, I agreed. I mean, uh, I hear it all the time uh, as I walk into to companies as, you know, a culture guy, uh, coach, whatever <laughs> yep. you call me, right? Um and, but not just that, even in my, my past careers, when, whether it was with big Kaiser or the NTMA or, or MSC, whomever, or in other industries, that whole mindset of, well, that's the way it's always been done. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that adverse reaction to change. Uh, yeah, I, it totally resonates. I, I love mm -hmm. it. Um, so what, <laughs> I'm working right now on a blog post, uh, Chris, um, uh -huh. and uh, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on the differences between, uh, because you've brought this up a couple of times, that's why I'm asking, uh, mm -hmm. coaches and managers. Um, because what I have found, what I see, what I've researched is it's two very distinct skill sets, right? Um, mm -hmm. that, that ability to coach and really inspire people or, uh, on, uh, on the other side, you know, the ability to ma manage and drive task behavior and, and, uh, what, uh, you know, processes and policies and procedures. Um, is there a difference or is it possible for somebody to really excel at both? Well, I think, yeah, I mean, I would say, many people who transition through being a manager at one time in their career or other, they may also be a coach, right? So I think a really good coach is, or a really good manager is one who can also be a coach. Um, and that person who inspires, I tend to think of coaches as the people, that the team want to listen to and follow, right? Okay. And sometimes you, as a manager, you don't necessarily need to have that skill, but if you do, you may be that much more successful and therefore your team may be that much more successful. Um, I don't think all managers are tasked with being that coach or that inspiration, they are there to ensure certain goals and performance are met. Sure. Uh, they have the skill set, the knowledge, the experience, and the training to do it. And they're they're put in a position to hire and train 
the people underneath them to achieve that goal and how they get there. Um, you know, I think if they're a, a good manager with a good skill set and good training, then they're going to, they can be successful. But I do think the ones that, you know, a coach just, you know, I've never thought about it the way that you're asking. So I, again, I'm just going with my gut here, but I think that coaches will give you a vision for how you contribute in your role and they make you, they help you feel that much better about it. So not only are you achieving, but you feel really good about what you're achieving. And if that makes sense, it does. Um, and, and, you know, so I think certainly they, they can be different, but I also think, and in the sense that a manager doesn't have to be a coach, but a manager who is also a coach, I think can probably have a lot of success and, and probably will keep growing in a company. I love that. Um, Chris, so we kind of got away from the, the initial question of, uh, you know, where your cultural journey, where it was, where it is now and, and where, uh, do you want to get it to, or where do you think the industry's headed? So let's now talk about the future, uh, of culture in the manufacturing world, uh, gen alpha, et cetera. Where do you want to get the culture at gen alpha? Because I, I've yet to meet a, a leader who's satisfied which is great because culture is not static it mm -hmm. is constantly evolving so where do you want to get the culture at gen alpha 2 and where do you think we're headed as an industry cultural yeah i would say uh i'll talk about gen alpha first because i i i, I think about of course that the most often mm -hmm. and you know, one of the things that uh, is true for me individually as part of this organization is that I've been really kind of an evangelist for the way that the world is changing and manufacturing has to change with it to be successful in the future. And as an evangelist, I've been so uh, open and vocal and you know, contributed to social. I've engaged in podcasts like this and and, and done different things that were really, really outside of my comfort zone in the beginning. Mm -hmm. um, it, having done it now for about three years, I wish I would have been doing it earlier, uh, especially in the history of Gen Alpha. But I would hope that more people would see the journey that I've been on on our team and they would feel that they can also be an evangelist for uh, digital and for growth in manufacturing and really understand the contribution we're having as a company and our product is having and where the industry is going. And mm. just to um, culturally that it's more than a few of us evangelizing. It's really everybody seeing, understanding, believing, and evangelizing as well. I love it. Um, so that's what, and, you know, I think it's difficult to say yes to things that are uncomfortable <laughs> um, when it comes to being more vocal that way. 
Uh, but we have so many exceptional people on her, our team that I can, I just think about our CTO, our VP of product, uh, all of our customer success managers, our engineering team. And I was like, man, imagine if all of them were out there talking like I talk. Um, but I know it's not comfortable for people. Sure. They have the same passion. They have the same drive. They have the same belief. I, I want to see everybody uh, doing these types of things. I want them talking about our culture, not just me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and so where do you think the industry's headed? Yeah, so culturally, the industry, um, I think, you know, it's headed to toward a younger generation uh, taking over in the very near future. Um, you know, I think in the next three to five years, we're going to see a big shift in the the people who are leading companies. And I think there's going to be a rapid change uh, in the things that they're, they're going to adopt as the way in which business is executed. And again, I'm not just talking about necessarily digital commerce, which is the space we're in, even though that contributes. I'm talking digital marketing. I'm talking social. I'm talking about AI. I'm talking about automation. I think there is this group of people ready to take the next step in manufacturing to advance manufacturing that much more and mm. that much faster. Um, and, you know, they're kind of waiting for the old guard to leave. Uh, you know, if yeah. we look at um, the number of organizations that are run by leaders that are of the, you know, that older generation right now, um, it's a lot. And as that shift occurs, I think we're going to see uh, some really rapid change and it's going to be fun and we're going to have to hold on. And <laughs> I think it's going to create a new competitive space. Um, I think we have big challenges in the world that need to be solved and manufacturing companies are the ones who are going to solve it. And, you know, we have limited resources of people to fill the roles that are going to continue to be open, the, the gaps in the number of people that are needed. So uh, if you don't have people resources, you're going to have to have other uh, means in which you're adopting in order to still build the things that the world needs. So I just think we're going to be seeing a really big transition and it's going to be an exciting place. And I think the doers, the creators, the innovative thinkers are going to be the ones that are entering manufacturing. And I hope uh, it happens uh, sooner rather than later, because uh, we all need that uh, for the better world that uh, we're looking towards. Yeah, I, I, I love that. That's uh, a really profound thought um, and great for me and hopefully dozens upon dozens of people who are listening to uh, listen and, and digest a little bit. Um, Chris, tell us about three initiatives uh, that you've taken maybe at Gen Alpha, maybe it's been throughout the course of your career um, that you've implemented that has improved the culture. And talk us through those, those three things. Sure. Yeah, I think the first one is providing visibility to goals and company performance. Um, this might be an odd one for some people to think about, but I do think people in your organization 
want to understand their contribution and, you know, how the company is performing and where they fit in the performance of, of the company. I personally know that when we have a monthly meeting with our employees and we go over our, our monthly results and then our quarterly results and our half year results, end of year results, they are eager to see how we did. Um, and I, I think giving visibility to what the company is working on and, and where we're going and whether we're, we have a shortfall or we're ahead is very, very important. Um, yeah, that just leads to to more trust, right? Yes. Uh, you, you trust your employees, but this builds a trust for them towards you and the organization. That's right. Awesome. And, you know, people want to ensure they're contributing. I believe that when people wake up every day and they trade their time uh, for family to be with you at your organization, they want to believe that they're a part of something that is successful. And if for whatever reason you're short, you're short on that success, they're going to want to help achieve in any way that they can, but they can't help if they don't know uh, where they fit and what the goals are. So um, I'm a big believer. You have to have visibility and transparency in that area. Um, You know, the other, the second one I would say is really open communication um, at all levels of the organization. Um, you know, I have an open door policy and that goes anywhere from any individual on our team. Obviously I want all team members to have a great working relationship to their direct manager, uh, and, and have that be a safe place for them at all times. But I also want them to feel free to schedule meetings with me and have discussions with me and ask me uh, personal questions about where the organization is going. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think good communication at all levels with all teams, including good communication with our customers is really, really important. Um, so th- that, that would be my number two. I like that one second. I, I do have a question. Uh, so I facilitate a leadership development course, uh, cohort here in Arizona yesterday. Um, huh. I had a, uh, young leader ask me, um, he says that he has an open door policy, but he only has a couple of people, uh, actually take him up on it. And then Mm -hmm. he hears through the internal grapevine that the people who aren't taking Mm -hmm. him up on it are complaining uh, about things to other people and and creating kind of a toxic environment for the rest of uh, the employees. What do you think is leading to that uh, lack of taking that young leader up on his open door policy? Well, I, I think it's actually, you know, the the way that I make it very easy is I ensure that every member of the team has visibility to my calendar. I, I think that's uh-huh. just the first step. And it's it's simply saying I would enjoy a conversation regularly and uh, would appreciate your feedback. So if you would like to schedule a regular meeting with me, I keep my calendar up to date. You have visibility to my calendar. Uh, Why don't we just schedule something? I'll let you take the lead on that. And so I really give the space. And, and I'll tell you that most 
if not all of the employees just take me up on that. Um, and then it's it's built into our regular monthly days, right? So, yeah. uh, you know, and then when they see how easy and important that conversation is and I show up on time and if I have to move it, uh, it's not just canceled. It's simply moved because it's important to me. And we may take the 30 minutes or we may take 10 minutes, whatever it, whatever it is, but we, it, it's scheduled and we're going to have it. And then hopefully as things come up between our meetings, they feel that much more comfortable to, to engage when necessary. I love it. I, I love it. Thank you. I, uh, I'll let him know. Um, I, my, my response to him uh, was, around trust, right? So he's relatively new to the leadership role. And I said, you know, the people who are coming to you, obviously trust that, you know, either their conversation with you will be kept confidential or that there will be action taken. The other people may not know you to that capacity, right? So I I, I love your answer though as well in in providing that space and and really giving the focus to that i i, I love that so thank you uh yeah. sorry to interrupt let's hear number three <laughs> yeah well i'll just add to that before i go to number three that you know i always take time to to speak to the to the manager to ask about how their employees are doing and when i am having that employee one-on-one -on -one, i will share something that I've heard so that they know that uh, actually, you know, we talk about the good things and I hear about the things that are happening so that they, they, they actually believe that uh, there are discussions that take place. And I understand the things that that employee is working on. And I also, you know, will uh, encourage them or say something positive related to the work that they've done or something that positive that their manager has shared with me or a customer has shared with me because I stay in touch with many of our customers myself uh, and they're always saying good things about the employee and there's nothing better for me to do than to share something I've heard from a customer or a manager on a positive level. So wow. um, those I think are really important in those meetings. Yeah. But number three, I would say to build a great culture, you have to have fun together. <laughs> you I have like to. It. I love it. You really it. have to have fun together. You know, you, you have to smile. You have to uh, enjoy each other's company. You need to know personal things about people. Uh, and you do that through having lunches. You do that through uh, having dinners, going out for happy hour. Um, you, you remember their children's name and their wife is their spouse's name. And you, you ask about, um, you know, how things are going. If you're aware of something, you, you know, you just, we have to make space to have fun and enjoy each other. Mm -hmm. That is a culture that I want to show up to work, uh, for every day. And, and I think that's something certainly the, the genuine care for each other and the ability to laugh, laugh at ourselves, um, you know, have a little laugh at each other. I think it's really important. That's I, <laughs> I love it. And uh, I do, uh, as I walk through shops, uh, whether it's on behalf of the podcast or behalf of, of my consulting company, I, 
it, it's amazing how easily you can pinpoint what the culture is of an organization by just looking at people's faces. If they look you in the eye, there's generally a healthier culture. If they're mm-hmm. looking at their shoes or, or focused on their work, it, it sometimes, I'm not yeah. saying always, but sometimes sure. that, that shows uh, that something's off. Uh, I was at a, a facility this week and every person, as I'm walking through uh, on a tour, um, every single person that this manager who is giving me the tour walked by high-fived. And it was awesome. Like it's giving me goosebumps just thinking about it right now, because that's a place that people want to come work. Right. You said it earlier, you trade your time with family and passions outside of work to go make money. Um, So why not enjoy it? So if, if you enjoy it, it it was a great, great tour and, and something I, don't see every day. So it was really neat. So I love that, that number three. Yeah. Uh, and your observations are so, so spot on, right? You can really tell a, a culture. And I think even us who, you know, all of us have customers, right? And when you uh, step into a culture within a prospect environment and you're like, wow, this culture is really great. Don't you just want to partner with them right away? It's like, oh, I really want to be our <laughs> customer because you guys are awesome and we're awesome and we're going to do awesome things together. You know, it's just like. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, it's so uh, interesting how you can connect in that way. And you're right. You can you can see it on people. Yeah, for sure. I, I have a, a guest. I, I've had a guest on the show and that episode has not been released yet. Uh, so I don't want to give too much away. But I, I was asking her some really tough questions about uh, how she deals with uh, customers that may not have uh, a positive culture and how that impacts. And she said, look, I don't focus on trying to get them as my my clients. I focus on <laughs> people that I have a good time with, that I have a good relation, that have a good positive culture. And I think that's that's true for a lot of companies. They the the culture that you build internally just because of the values that it, it takes to build that culture, that's who you tend to gravitate to when it comes yes. to doing business, right? Yes. Yeah, and it goes both ways, right? They they gravitate to you because they like what you see as or what they see as well. So absolutely, um, yeah, I think I love that's it. true. <laughs> well, Chris, as we wrap up, the last thing I like to give guests the opportunity to do, and I never prep them, so this is a, a new thing that you're hearing, is what kind of final thoughts do you have for the listeners and and for me because this has been a, a absolute awesome journey. Uh, if I was still working for other people, I would come work for you. Um, you're, you're the kind of leader that I would love to come work for. Um, but what kind of final thoughts do you have? Yeah. Well, thank you for saying that. Um, yeah, I think culture is, is critical. I think it can make and break organizations. Um, I think if you have uh, issues in your culture, and you know when you do. Uh, mm-hmm. Leaders know. You have to root that out, and you have to take care of it. Uh, it's something that you have to address right away. Don't let those types of things fester. Uh, I think some of the most courageous things we can do 
as leaders is have the tough conversations we need to protect our culture. And sometimes that's with employees, but sometimes it's with a customer. And uh, it means a leader has to step in to have a conversation about the way a customer might be treating one of your employees or whatever it is. But do not let those underlying things fester for long because uh, they can really disrupt uh, the organization, the way the organization feels, and that uh, disruptor uh, can be can be very bad for everyone. It can cost you people, it can cost you business, it can cost you customers. Um, so I think it's something that uh, you know every leader who has a great vision for their organization and where they're going, they should also be very focused on culture and ensuring that the culture is headed in the same direction that that vision is headed. I love it. I, uh, that's that's going to be the quote that I post uh, the Monday after this uh, episode airs <laughs> because that was that was powerful. Thank you very much, Chris. Um, so, folks, there you have it. Uh, this was an amazingly insightful look into the world of manufacturing culture, and. Chris managed to really wrap it up neatly for all of you. Uh, a huge thank you again to Chris Harrington for sharing her profound thoughts, insights, and experiences, and really helping us chart this journey that we're on uh, from tradition to transformation in the, the manufacturing world. Uh, from the evolution of the culture at Gen Alpha, the trials, the triumphs, and everything in between, to the impact of digital transformation on the industry, it's uh, been an absolute revelation. I couldn't come up with the right word there. It's been an absolute revelation, uh, and, and it's been a, a really insightful journey. So if this episode sparked curiosity or stirred any thoughts or emotions, or quite frankly, simply brightened your day, please share it with your friends, colleagues, or anyone who could benefit from exploring and, and the exploration of the world of manufacturing culture. Uh, don't forget, folks, your feedback is our fuel. Uh, please visit us at manufacturingculturepodcast.com to rate and review the show, or you can do that on whatever platform you're listening to uh, or to this on. Um, your reviews help us improve bring valuable content to you. Uh, and on our website, uh, we're now, or, and I say we, I'm now writing a blog uh, about each episode. Uh, so come visit us on the platform or on the webpage uh, to see uh, each episode in blog form. Uh, so until the next time we get together, uh, keep your gears grinding, your production lines humming, and your spirits soaring. As always, have a great day and keep making things.